He really is here. Do you know that? He's the king of glory. Thank you, Father. I was, um, I was recently in Mexico for work. And um, it's quite, I was, went to Mexico City, and it's a significant place for me because um, four years ago, or just over four years ago, I went there when, I was, when uh, Kate and I were at Bethel, um, and that was my mission trip. And it was a trip that really changed my life in a big way. Like a lot of things changed for me there. And in terms of like, I guess, the kind of the miracles I get to see today and things like that, that was a definitely a trip that marked me and changed my life. Um, And the same time that I was preparing to go on that trip, I actually got contacted by Bethel because they're um, they're making a book, uh, publishing a book of testimonies. And they said to me. can you tell us any testimonies from the last four years since you left Bethel? Because um, we've heard that you might have some testimonies. And um, it made me uh, reflect, it, which is not something I probably do enough, to be fair, but it made me sit down and reflect, like, in the four years since we've left Bethel, like, what, what God's done in our lives and actually really take stock on it. And, um, and I'm blessed to say that, you know, we've had a lot of amazing miracles that we've seen, but I had to narrow it down. She said, could you send me one? And I ended up sending her seven. Um, and um, I, but it was just making me, she, and she's, she's now narrowed it down to three because she couldn't choose one. But um, in those four years since we left Bethel and came to the UK, I've seen a baby raised from the dead. That's, that's, good, that's good news. That's good. As, as a baby, that was they were they were going to have a conversation with the parents the next day about when to switch off the life support machine, and by lunchtime that that, that next day, the baby was discharged from hospital, completely normal. Uh, I've seen um, a, a director of one of our Olympics teams healed on a plane through a word of knowledge. I've seen. Um, and then he was going to go home and his, his wife is like one of our famous gold medalists as well. And that she, he was like, we're going to go back to church and all this kind of stuff. I've seen, um, an entire section of leg grow out, recreated in the middle of an airport. I've seen, I've seen money appear in thin air, like money just that just wasn't there before appeared on me. That was a few weeks. That was a couple of months ago. I've seen metal, metal in the body miracles on, on the streets. Um, my eldest son has appeared to be appeared to people in dreams who he's never met before when he was this is when he was four telling them that god's going to give you a baby when they couldn't have a baby and then they got pregnant a week later um he actually appeared to me in a dream and then my wife who was really sick at the time got healed through that dream encounter as well and this is this is like I just can't get, believe what we get to see, the times that we get to live in. And what I was reflecting on when I was thinking about this is that this is a story of momentum. And this is a story of momentum. Like what God's got doing in our lives is a story of momentum and acceleration. And what God is doing here at Eastgate is a story of momentum and acceleration. If you think about it, like we've been here four years since we got back from America. And in that time... I don't know the exact numbers, but the church size has probably almost like doubled or not far off there. I don't know. Tripled. 
tripled in size. Not that it's all about numbers, but that's pretty amazing. We've got the free school happening, living fire, heaven and healthcare, second morning service coming soon, the annexes. Whether you like it or not, things are accelerating here. <laughs> it's true. And, but there's a, there's a warning about when, when things are accelerating, there is a bit of a warning there. Well, there's a few warnings. When things are moving fast, things sometimes get missed. When people are moving fast and there's momentum, sometimes things get missed along the way. And if you, if you want to, there are things that you could get offended by. It also, another thing that happens, and this is like related to what I was kind of prophesying earlier, is that when things are moving fast and you're in that kind of environment, things are going to happen that you haven't seen before. You're going to see things that you aren't familiar with, you haven't experienced before, that are unusual, and that you maybe don't have a frame of reference for. And then things are even going to move forward before you've even got a chance to get used to those things. Now, if we're not careful, the enemy wants to use those things to derail us. That's his strategy. And I think one of, in particular, one of his most successful strategies, and it happens a lot here, I think, in the UK, um, but also everywhere in the world, is offense. Offense is something that he uses intentionally to tear apart moves of God and to derail them. And there are things that could happen here that, if we're, that could offend us probably on a regular basis even. And if you're not careful, God could use that to take you and take us out of the momentum that he has for us and out of the momentum that we're moving in right now. And when I think about my own story, um, people who know me may, would probably describe me as somebody who you know, has a kind of breakthrough for faith and miracles and things like that. And the temptation is that when you, when you meet people like that to think that, they were always that way, and that's, they were just, some people are just like that. But the truth is, I really wasn't always one of that, like that. I really wasn't always one of those people. And one of the things that I really believe that has actually defined my life and put me on that path has actually been my pursuit of the very things that offended me. I've actually made a point of it. And even the very people that offended me as well. You see... How you and how I, how we respond to offense and the things that offend us will define us. That, that's, if, that, if there was a title for what my talk today, that is it. The things that offend you will define you, one way or another. And my, the great, I honestly think the greatest breakthroughs in my life I could attribute to how I dealt with moments of offense in my life. Chuck Parry. Anyone, who's familiar with Chuck Parry? So he's a he's he's an amazing person, and um, I I'm very privileged to call him a friend. Um, but when I when I first got to Bethel, one of the first classes that I was in was actually led by um, a guy called Chris Gore, who who leads healing ministries at Bethel. But he he was away one week, and so Chuck Parry um, took over his class. And I had no grid for what I was about to see that, that day at all. Uh, and, and I was not expecting anything like that. And then this, what I can only describe as like a laughing tornado comes in the room. And just 
tears it up and people are rolling around and bodies are everywhere and it's chaos. And I remember just thinking inside of me, you, you offend you. There's something you offend me a bit, I, I, and I don't I don't know why, but I could see it. there's something inside me that is coming up against this. And I made a decision that day. I decided I walked out of that room, and I decided I want to get to know Chuck Parry. Next first time I get a chance to go on a trip with him, on a ministry trip, I want to do that. And I want to get to know him. That's a whole other story. But that did, that did end up happening. We became friends. And a lot of what I attribute that I get to experience was through that friendship. But when I also think about like the, way I minister, the way I minister to the sick, a lot of people, in, in terms of healing, they will pray for people and pray for them to get healed. And that's all great and everything. But I don't generally do that very much. I've, I've worked out that because... I just discovered that because Jesus already healed them 2,000 years ago, I just invite them to enjoy his presence, and I just watch him heal them. And it's, it's, way, it's way easier, it's way less work, and it's way more fun, and it's way more effective. But the thing I've found is that sometimes that will offend people. They'll, they'll come to me, and they want, they're expecting the prayer. And that, I can understand that, because the prayer is a... It's a gesture, it's a physical gesture, which is a sign of me caring for them, and my love for them, and my time for them, and all those kind of things. And that is important. But what I regard as more important is that they actually get their breakthrough. Yeah, I I can put my arm around them the next day when they're healed, and whatever, and give them a nice hug. But I would rather at that moment in time that they get completely set free. And I'm going to take a risk that they're going to get offended. I'm okay with that if... If they don't like me, but they get free, then I'm laughing. I'm good. It's good. I'm happy. But they, in those moments, they have a choice. There is a little line in the sand for them. Am I going to be able to look past this offense and actually receive from this person? Or does the fact that he's maybe not going to minister to me in the way that I expected, does that actually bother me? That I'm actually going to turn my heart away from this and not be able to receive? And over the years, I actually have seen both both outcomes. See, a fence is a bit like a city wall. You know, in the in the ancient times, they had city walls to protect the city. But it's like a city wall that the enemies put up there, and it's designed to stop you getting into the heart of that city, what, the reason that you were there. If you keep looking at that wall, you're going to forget even what's there. You're going to completely lose sight of what's beyond it. But the thing I've realized about a fence, a fence is a choice. We can choose whether we're going to be offended or not. Now, that seems like a really obvious thing to say, but actually, the way that we live our lives, a lot of the time, we don't live our lives like it's a choice. We live our lives like it's an involuntary reaction to a situation. Every time I remain in a place of being offended, I'm actually choosing to be there. The thing is, I've just gotten so good at being there that I've forgotten that I'm even making that choice anymore. It's just That's just become my normal. See, every single one of us has a button. Well, actually, lots of buttons, probably. And if someone presses those buttons, something is going to happen. See, that's why I, think it's, I don't think it's possible to be 100% unoffendable. Because I think for me to be completely unoffendable, I'm probably going to have to be withdrawing myself from new situations. 
And so for me to be growing as a person, I have to be stepping into new situations. And that's going to mean that maybe buttons that I hadn't discovered are going to be pressed. Now, so I don't have complete control over a button I can't see, do I? You know, I, I can't. If that's going to get pressed and I didn't even know it was there, that's going to get pressed. But I do have control over what I do next. When Jesus returned to his hometown and he started teaching in the synagogue, people noticed something. They noticed that they were amazed, it says. They noticed the rapid acceleration in his life. What did they say? They said, isn't this Joseph's son? See, in their mind... He should still be the carpenter's son. That's where he should be. That's, where he, that's, that's his place in their mind. They were witnessing an acceleration that they had, didn't have a grid for. They had no reference for it. No. And so they rejected it. It offended them. See, often we see someone else's acceleration as a reminder, perhaps, of our own lack of progress or acceleration. We're offended about the fact that they seem to have moved beyond where, where we were, and we're still there. When actually, that acceleration is intended to be our breakthrough. You're meant to celebrate it, because then you get to receive it. It wasn't intended just for them. It was intended for you as well. In this situation, an entire city missed out on God's purpose for them. And the, and the breakthrough that actually had been prophesied in Scripture. I remember when I was at Bethel, the first time we really experienced people being drunk in the Holy Spirit. And I remember driving in the car with my friends from our revival group, which is like a, if you don't know what that is, it's like a, a group of about 30 people. So the whole um, year of students, which is like a thousand, is broken into these like, Groups of, I know it's about 60 people actually. And so there was about six of us in a car and we were driving. And um, my friends were talking about it. And everybody was kind of struggling with it. And they were struggling with the terminology. They were struggling with seeing stuff they hadn't seen before. And everyone was saying, like, what do you think about it? I'm not and people were just like, I'm not too sure. And then one of them, I was just kind of sat there quietly. And then one of them asked me, and he said, what do you think about it, Dave? And I said, I've already decided to trust Bethel. I decided that when I quit my job, moved out of my house, came out here with not even half the amount of money I need, and I've got a child, and did all those things, even when family and churches were rejecting us, I decided about eight months ago that I'm going to trust Bethel. I've already decided that, and now I'm here, I want to get what I came for. See, earlier on in that journey that I was on, I'd made a conscious decision to allow my thinking to be influenced by a group of people that I'd decided to trust. And so it was really the strength of that relationship and that trust that was empowering me to make a different choice in the midst of something that I didn't probably really quite understand at that time either. It was actually a relational thing. And so from that time on, every time I encountered something that could push one of those buttons, I actually evaluated it against that earlier commitment I made. That doesn't mean that you completely throw your brain out and just brain out the window. But it means I'm, I might be processing stuff, but I'm processing it within the context of a relationship. 
Now, if I can choose not to be offended, which is what I was doing in that moment, what does that prove about my previous behavior? It was a choice as well. When I was choosing to be offended, it was a choice as well. The funny thing is, we're really, really good at excusing when we're excusing our offended behavior. It's like we're victims. Even our dictionaries, I, was actually, I just googled it today, the definition of offended, and it uses words like wounded and hurt. Now, I'm not, I'm not demeaning, I'm not trying to diminish the fact that things happen that can actually make us feel things. That's totally, that's totally valid. But my, my behavior, I am in control of my behavior, right? So if I am choosing to be resentful or to have bad feelings towards somebody else or to turn my heart away from something because of something else external that happened, that is me choosing to behave in that way. But when we use words like wounded and hurt and things like that, we're equating our ability to control our behavior with our ability to control whether we bleed or not. I mean, that's what wounded (laughs) wounded means. And if we define offense just only within these kind of parameters, then we're basically limiting ourselves to make ourselves powerless to change. I think the really exciting thing, though, is that the Bible clearly shows that when you choose not to partner with offense, you get to experience the kingdom in a really new way. And there's actually a lot of the examples of the kingdom being actually manifest and revealed in different ways are actually through those pivotal moments. If you look at the Old Testament, you think of Elisha and Naaman. You know, he told him just to go. He didn't even go and speak to him, Elisha didn't. And he told him just to go and wash in the Jordan. And so Naaman was offended at this, and he went off. It was actually his servants that actually appealed to him, and, and actually he eventually saw past that offense. And because of that, he, the kingdom was revealed in a new way, because people like him, who weren't from Israel, they didn't get God's miraculous healing. And suddenly it was actually released to a Gentile. Think about Jesus and the wedding. There's a wedding that's been going on for days and people have been drinking alcohol for days. And I can't even imagine what that was looking like. But what does Jesus do? He creates more wine. People, people had to see past offense to actually just obey that without question. Perhaps one of the biggest examples where there was a moment of where people could choose to be offended was when Jesus starts teaching about drinking my blood and eating his flesh. And many, many people turned away when that happened. I wonder if we didn't have it written in our Bible and we were there, what we would do. But what happened to the people who didn't run away? Because they recognized that he had the words of life, the words of eternal life. What happened? He used them to start the church. Let's think about the opposite for a moment. One example is Judas. This is one example that stuck with me. In John 12 and Matthew 26, we see slightly different accounts, but where the, where the woman is, where the perfume is being poured over Jesus. And in one of those accounts, it says that the disciples were, were, were upset about it because they thought it was a waste of money. But in another one, it actually says it was Judas. It explicitly states that it was Judas who, who voiced that. And then in Matthew, what it says is straight after that, after Jesus has um, rebuked them for that, Judas goes away and betray, agrees to betray Jesus. 
straight after that. It says, then Judas went to, betray, to, to the chief priests to betray Jesus. Is it possible that that incident tipped him over the edge? Could be. Right after, that's what he did. See, often the reason we're offended is because someone's actions are actually revealing something about ourselves. Judas was greedy. The Bible says that. And here was something that was the complete opposite in terms of his, his perception of money and what you should do with money. And actually, it's the very person who had the breakthrough that he needed. The most selfless person that's ever lived. lived. And actually, that offense denied him that breakthrough. I think about me with Chuck Parry. You know, what, what, was, what was it in me that that was exposing? I, there was something that made me uncomfortable. I think, I think I probably had a definition of God that I was quite comfortable with. And something about... That, well, he, was, he wasn't just... Confront, he was smashing that definition up with a big sledgehammer and laughing at the same time. And it made me feel unsafe. Offense will many times make you push away the very people you actually need the most. It's a strategy. It's an enemy strategy. That person you're offended by is someone who's actually carrying the breakthrough you need. That's why the enemy does it. One thing I can pretty much guarantee is that every one of us will be tested in this area. More, t- more than once. And actually, as we enter this new season as a church, this season of growth and acceleration, and I actually feel like, you know, if you're going to put it on a graph, it's going like that. We're all going to be tested in different ways. And so what I've got here is a few things that I felt like were highlighted to me that will help us to avoid this trap. Okay? So, number one is recognize where there's life. Now, the first thing in order to do this is to listen to your spirit, not your head. That doesn't mean that you just throw your brain out. But often in these situations where something could offend us, we react with our heads. It's about taking a moment, connecting with Holy Spirit. In the, in the midst of that moment, connecting with Holy Spirit and just recognizing his voice and his presence. Honestly, just doing that is a simple act. Life-changing. Life-changing. The disciples, when they were asked by Jesus why they weren't, the one, why they weren't leaving him after he said that thing about drinking blood and eating flesh, they replied, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. They recognized in their spirit where the life was and they saw past the offense. So when you're a part of an environment with, where there's momentum, Things will get messed. Things will change. There will be things that happen that we weren't expecting or maybe we don't like. But the life of God is in this place. Never forget that. Never forget that. There are many places where the life of God isn't manifest there. That's going to change. But recognize where it is. Number two. Like, like I did earlier in that story. Listen to the people you once decided to trust. 
even if you disagree with them for some reason right now, if they've been solid in your life for a period of time, don't just throw that out the window. In a moment, people do that and they leave churches and they leave relationships and they regret it for the rest of their life. That thing, that relationship, the fact that you decide to trust them in spite of what you're feeling at that moment in time might just be the thing that saves, saves, the, saves you a whole lot of pain in your life and a lot of heartache. Naaman listened to his servants and it paid off. That's the power of covenant. It's the only type of relationship that can transcend circumstance and situation. Number three. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Rejoicing is the catalyst for releasing the power of testimony in your life, celebrating with them. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If that's true, what's going to happen when you celebrate someone else's testimony as if it's your own? Healing. If somebody gets healed and you, you, you haven't experienced healing, Celebrate it. Celebrate their healing as if it's yours. That is designed to be your moment of breakthrough as well. Another thing is recognizing the difference between being family and being familiar or over-familiar. And there is a difference. Jesus, that with Jesus, they were offended with him at his hometown. I think that the community that you live in, the community where you do life, should be your family, where you're loved, where you're nurtured, where you're encouraged, where you're supported, where people want you to grow. I think that that reaction that we read about there, that wasn't the case. They were over-familiar. Isn't this the carpenter's son? That's not people who want him to grow. Familiarity doesn't want people to change or grow past them. It, wants, it, see, it gets comfort from people remaining the same. It feels threatened when that isn't the case. Galilee missed out on its prophetic destiny because of this offense. Was that number three or four? I can't remember. Four. So this is number five. This is the last one. The last one, and I think this is potentially one of the key, most key ones is go out of your way to honor those that you feel offended by. That's what I decided to do with, with Chuck and Chris Gore as well. Because the body of Christ becomes a super organism when honor flows through it. I saw this nature documentary, and it's amazing. ants are amazing. Do you know how amazing ants are? They're crazy, right? Ants... When they actually, if you join them together and there's like a whole nest of ants, you drop that on water, they don't sink. They actually land on the water together and bounce. They somehow increase their waterproof ability by being joined together and they become a raft. And you can actually try and push that under the water and it becomes like impermeable to the water and then just comes up again. It's crazy. And they actually said, this is really how you would define a superorganism. They actually, the sum is, you know, the whole is really greater than the sum of its parts. Like, they've actually become a new thing. Wow. And I was like, that's the body of Christ. Wow. That's the body of Christ. We tend to think that, oh, when we come together and all the gifts are flowing, that, yeah, it's going to be good. It's obviously going to be better. going to be stronger. I actually think we become a super organism. Yeah. 
1 Corinthians 12:26 If one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it I actually looked up the word there where it's, which which is actually translated rejoices in most bibles but the greek actually says sin kairos which is two words joined together which actually means to mutually share in the grace and the celebration and the rejoicing actually is a result of the fact that you've shared in that grace so when when one part is honored every part rejoices with it every part gets to receive that grace when one part is honored every part gets to receive that grace so why don't we do that right now i thought what if we could if we could get close to each other and lay hands on each other right now and actually i would just really love us to just pray for each other and just actually make a point make a point of actually really intentionally honoring that person and i and the, the lord is actually going to release prophetic words to you as you do that he's actually going to release prophetic words that actually release new things in that person as well so if we could just like start to get next to somebody and just start to pray for them right now and just start to release that honor in their life right now thank you father